Hey guys, welcome back to Sam Spective. Um, if it's your first time listening, uh, welcome very much. And I hear you ask, what the heck is Sam Spective? Where am I? How did I get here? Let me introduce myself. I'm Alfred Faber, and as a sound designer and filmmaker, I've always been really fascinated with how sight and sound combine. On this podcast, I interview all kinds of fun people, directors, soundies, editors, artists, about how they do just that, uh, combine sight and sound in their art. Um, if you want to follow the podcast on the socials, uh, just search Sound Perspective on Facebook. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at SoundPerspect, and I'm on Instagram at Alfie Faber Sound. Today's guest, I was so lucky to get a hold of. He's easily one of my favourite directors. Justin Cozell is an Australian director living in London. His debut feature, Snowtown, was a gritty dramatisation of one of Australia's worst serial murders. But um, I kind of see it as a story about masculinity, trauma and misguided youth. Um, I think it's one of Australia's best films, and it's a really amazing example of what can be done with a low budget. If you haven't seen it yet, I can't stress enough what you're missing out on. Uh, Snowtown took the international festival circuit by a storm. Next thing you know, Justin's in Scotland shooting the 2015 adaptation of Macbeth, starring Michael Fassbender. He followed that with the studio tentpole blockbuster Assassin's Creed uh, before coming back to Australia to make the true history of the Kelly gang. Before coronavirus hit, he was in India shooting the Apple TV adaptation of the book Shantaram. But without any further ado, uh, let's hear from Mr. Curzel himself. Enjoy. Justin Curzel, thank you so much for uh, joining me. No worries. <laughs> um, so, for anyone, any of the listeners who might not know your work, could you give a brief intro as to how you got into directing? Yeah, I was a theatre uh, designer and I work a lot with Benedict Andrews, who is an amazing theatre director and film director now. He, he just uh, uh, did, um, did a couple films uh, recently. Um, and, uh, I, I just sort of got really curious about directing really through being around actors. And that's the pleasure of kind of theater is that you're always around actors and you're always sort of watching them and sort of seeing how they kind of tick and, and, and I loved it. I really loved it. And I sort of was finding myself wanting to be in rehearsal room much more than out in the workshops and sort of, you know, watching the sets being sort of built. So, um, so I, I I then moved into kind of I made a short film out of my own money, uh, black and white film for Tropfest, and that kind of got me you know uh, curious even more. And, and then I was my brother started a band, the Mess Hall, which is mm. a two piece band. And, yeah, I've been um, loving them recently. Yeah, and they they I, I was in the band there for a while. Oh, really? And they became a two piece. <laughs> they didn't. They uh, decided they didn't need a bass player. And I was like, <laughs> I decided that you know that 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 life of being in a band kind of wasn't for me, um, and I just started directing their music clips, and it was oh, kind of cool. fantastic because we paid for them ourselves. We had no label that was really, 
you know, sort of saying you need these many shots of Jed and mm. and it really was a kind of great time of exploration with a with a fantastic DOP, Andy Commerce. Um and and from that I sort of I guess I just sort of started to create a bit of a a, a style and yeah. started to kind of work out kind of what I what I kind of wanted to do. So it was sort of really through the video clips that I started to um well, it was definitely the thing that uh, Anna and Sarah from Warp Films at the time, uh, uh, you know, approached me. They were looking for first-time filmmakers, and it was really my video clips, my music clips that sort of got them interested in Snowtown, mm-hmm. uh, me being part of Snowtown. And uh, so <clears throat> it was It was a long time. It was sort of, you know, there was a period of there of sort of two or three years where it was just unbelievably depressing and sort of how do I make something, how do yeah. I get going, how do you kind of, you know, because I've gone from a successful kind of career in theatre and uh, it was it was challenging, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of glad I sort of stuck at it. Yeah, cool. Did, um, were there any challenges in making the transition from theatre to film, like as a very different medium? In some way, theatre interrogates work, I think, in a much... Uh, stronger way at times and mm. I, I think it's because you just get more time like you get like an eight you know we we're, were getting eight week rehearsal periods with actors so you yeah. get to kind of you get to see a bounty of ideas and yeah. you get to really sort of work a piece up and mm. you get to kind of like the level of talk about the vision for something because theater is so much about vision it's so much about yeah. okay so you know if you're going to do streetcar name desire then what is your take on it and what yeah. What what why is it relevant kind of now? So there's a lot a lot of kind of you know interrogation in regards to kind mm. of point of view, you know what you want to do. So I found that really helpful when I got into film because it took me a while to kind of understand it. Um, but 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 the point of view is kind of the key to cinema for yeah. me, and, and and where you place the camera and what you hear and how that kind of plays into into the point of view of your lead character is really important and often helps you kind of get out of really tricky situations. So mm. um, that 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 was sort of the biggest thing I kind of learned. But yeah, it look it is like you know they're completely different. They're, mm. they're, they're absolutely completely different. I mean, I haven't directed any theatre, so you know, I don't quite know what it'd be like to do that. But um, I, I do think that, um, you know, the film is very brutal in the time and you've got investors and you've got many more voices that are part of it. And if you are pretty dogmatic about what you're trying to say and what you want to try to do, then, you know, it, it can be really challenging to kind of get those ideas through on you know, films that have got a lot of money behind them and, and, and a lot of people kind of, you know, you know, who may or may not have their own agendas as to what the film should be. So that, that can be really tricky. Mm. Mm. Listening to your past interviews, it always sounded like you're a very uh, performance and actor-focused director. I really liked in an interview you said production is one of your favourite part because it's like trying to... Um, Getting performances is like trying to catch butterflies on set. It's trying to capture something like fleeting. Do you struggle with that in something like post-production where it's a lot less um, on your feet and it's a bit more meticulous finding what you're looking for? Yeah, yeah. You can really go down the rabbit hole in post-production of it and on edit. You can, you know... There's this weird dichotomy, which is on one hand you're sort of in production and you are 
trying to create almost like in theater something real that's happening in front of the camera you know mm. that that could never happen any other time but there and then in that place and you know it's that lovely thing <clears throat> where you may have had all these preconceived ideas of what this scene was going to be and what the character was you know how the actor was going to do the character how they were going to say particular lines but you know the, the day might just not turn out that way I think the biggest lesson I learned was just to be open to change and, and actually encourage it and, and really flip things and try things. And um, I, I rarely do six takes that are the same. You know, mm. I, I, I really try to kind of... Um, uh, unfortunately, what happens is you get into the edit and you have so many choices. And, you know, it's just two different ways of filmmaking, I think. One is kind of like, well, you're more open to things and you allow more things to come in so you've got more material yeah and in a sense you do find a lot in the edit and the other one is 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 that you just you know you storyboard it you're really dogmatic about what it is and you get into the edit and you're choosing things that you've always chosen before yeah. you started so and I, I found that really difficult to, and really challenging to kind of because i have a sort of love of both but yeah, I do love – I just love production because I love the fact that the trains left the station. I hate pre because pre is just saying goodbye to all your babies because you suddenly realise you can't do half the things that you wanted to do. And yeah. It's just problem-solving, you know, constantly. Um, and then when you just start shooting, you just start shooting and, the, the you know, you might have had a bad day or you know, something that you thought you didn't get and – but you have to keep on going you know if you're on a low budget you just you just have to keep on going to the next day nothing kind of waits for you so there's something about that i quite like it sort of liberates you and allows you to kind of get you know caught up in the kind of um i don't know energy of 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 uh of of it just happening you know mm. Mm. i really loved your short film blue tongue and um I was interested to see that you were credited as one of the sound designers. Um, what was your role there? How much were you involved in that? I think I recorded a lot of sound myself. Oh, really? You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like at VCA, you know, it was such a kind of cool course because it was only a year and they get, you know, there's no money mm. and there's no time and you basically we the, our idea was that we had to do a film under five minutes i think five or six minutes and you can only you only had three rolls of film and you had to edit it you, you had to do everything yeah like, you know so i found myself when i was editing that i that i had all this sound that i was <clears throat> i think recording of the, the live wires over electrical wires overhead and mm. i think there were cicadas in the grass and so forth and i just found myself just naturally organically starting to kind of place that in like the sound bar mm. <laughs> on the avid started to become extremely busy and yeah. sort of layered so yeah. i realized I, like i realized then that obviously kind of the sonic world of a film was really important to me and maybe that was just by being in a band and being around my brother and yeah you know, really being brought up to kind of listen a little bit um <clears throat> so yeah i think I, th I think at the time i just um i think just because you do everything uh you know i i thought i'll i'll credit myself as you know a, a sound designer on that film <laughs> yeah <laughs> well that yeah fair enough um and i'm actually really uh fascinated by your collaboration with your brother who has been composer on all of your films so far um, do you feel that, like, growing up together gave you a kind of common language and those shared experiences 
made it easier to collaborate? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we, you know, we were inseparable. We, Jed and I, we sort of played together constantly. We, we, you know, would, would pretend to be two football teams together for the whole day as eight-year-olds on the front lawn. Like, you know, we'd go and watch movies together and have the same sort of experience, whether it be Rocky or Jaws or Alien or whatever. Yeah. So we had those kind of like together experiences that, that I think just sort of, you know, creates a very organic relationship. Um yeah, and, and Jed had been playing in the mess hall and then he, he'd he been doing a lot of stuff on the side that was much more instrumental and, and yeah, and much more kind of filmic. And it was really yeah. interesting. Like, there'd be times in his songs where he would sort of go off to a particular place and it felt really cinematic. And I thought, yeah. well, he's, he's really, he really does kind of almost sort of compose and, mm. and sort of at times do sort of soundscapes in his own sort of music uh, with the mess hall. So then I'd sort of, saw this other stuff and and it really was me sort of going to him and saying do you want to have a go at snowtown and he knew Mm. the world and we grew up near the area and jed's really perceptive in terms of what he doesn't like and and you know he sort of hates music that i guess sort of plays emotive beats and you know is is much more interested in 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 kind of the the deeper psychology of what music can play mm. and how it can play over a film so you know it just provided a really interesting kind of collaboration on snowtown where it just felt like we'd worked for years because i guess we had you know and and um you know it was a really steep learning curve for jeb because it was the first time they were sort of composing and the requirements that you need sort of for film so you know he, he never went to any music school he never was trained as a musician i mean it was all He's sort of self-made, which mm. is sort of remarkable. Um, so he's always been there sort of tinkering away and just trying to work it out himself. And, uh, yeah, we've we've kind of grown together as yeah. I've kind of gone and done a bigger film. He's done a bigger film. And, yeah. um, you know, he, 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 you know, it was really wonderful to sort of see him work with Ridley on on Alien and, and, yeah. and sort of have that experience with, with, a, with an icon like Ridley, I think, um, was was great for him to sort of you know get away from me which um yeah yeah. i'm sure he really enjoyed (laughs) (laughs) well he has a very distinctive style and you have quite a distinctive style and uh, like they work great together but did you ever have you ever felt like um what he did wasn't right for what you were doing at that time or did you ever feel the need to kind of change him at all I kind of always love what he, I mean. I, I always love what he does, and mm. and and I always I always feel as though his instincts are really right, and and that he, I'm very lucky in that he starts to give me stuff really early on. So I hardly ever ever use temp. In fact, I kind of don't. The only film I used temp on was Assassins, and we had to kind of use it because it was a such a large film that yeah. you know needed audience testing and stuff like that. Mm. That you know, Jed doing sketches. Um, which is what he usually does, and you lay them over. You kind of need a producing team and and investors to kind of go, all right, I get the tone, I get where it's going to go. And whenever we've used, you know, when when we have used kind of um, temp, it's it's just been really difficult and really distracting and really sort of destructive to to the kind of natural relationship that we kind of have. So he usually gives me stuff within the first two weeks of an edit. I'm usually editing to that music, so it's hugely important. Um, there's a tonal world that starts to open up. And I do really think he 
he has a huge effect on my films that's more than just the the, the music it, there, there's a kind of vision that's kind of cre- a sonic vision that sort of starts to dictate a pace and a rhythm and a kind of style so he's not only a confidant in terms of like hey have a look at the edit and see what you think and what you like and don't like but but he but he also just i guess pushes the film towards a, a, a place you know through these sort of sketches mm. and then they start to kind of get developed more and more throughout the piece macbeth was a strange one we had a full electronic score on that mm. that we that we completely kind of dumped and that we dumped that really late and then sort of jed started this relationship with the london contemporary orchestra and and um you know we started to find a particular sound that felt you know that that felt maybe more organic to the film, but I, I got to say I loved it. Like the, yeah, the electronic yeah. score it was unbelievable, and it was mm. really interesting. It was pretty unrelenting, but it was mm. really really fascinating. But we had a really hard time kind of getting people on the same page as us in regards to mm. kind of how that music played. I think most people thought it was sort of too oppressive or something, and um, but it was really really interesting. Um, you know, I loved the score that he ended up with in in Macbeth and it feels really organically right for it mm. um but that was that was probably one of the only times where we did a bit of a u-turn mm. and 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 it happened quite late and um you know it it's um yeah we, uh, we at the time I think we thought it was a failure but but actually it, it opened up something really interesting and and started a relationship that Jed had has now with the LCO which he does most of his work with um yeah. those that don't know the LCO they're they're the guys that <clears throat> really young kind of um, orchestra in London, really experimental that work with, um, you know, did the music on There Will Be Blood and, um, you know, does a lot of stuff. They do a lot of stuff with um, Greenwood. And mm. so it's, um, it's, 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 it's interesting how he's sort of uh, out of this film, you know, this, this relationship sort of formed with that group and, and it sort of has sort of maintained. Yeah. Well, uh, an electronic score for Macbeth would have been crazy. I would have been very interested to hear that. And um, I I was very interested to hear about your process with Macbeth because something that's been written for stage, but you made it so incredibly cinematic, both in like the in the production design and the cinematography and the soundscape so like what was the process of unpacking the themes of a sh- of shakespearean theater and converting it to like this new medium uh well i never thought i would make Macbeth. i designed it as a play and it was a really it's a really odd play it's sort of a two-act play and mm. you know once he once he kills duncan it's a sort of descent into madness it yeah doesn't, it's uh it, it's it's got a particular kind of thing to it um which is really challenging and can be really problematic in productions. But mm. I knew it pretty well. But yeah. I, I had any ambition to kind of direct it. Yeah. But I was coming, uh, you know, I was sort of coming off a show that just didn't happen. I'd been sort of wasting a couple of years kind of trying to get this thing up and it didn't happen. And, mm. um, and I was just very lucky and Canning came along, uh, said, well, I've got this script of Macbeth and, uh, and it's with uh, Michael Fassbender and Michael and I had been sort of chatting after he saw Snowtown about uh, a, a couple of things and um, 
it was pretty straight. But the one the one thing that was really interesting about it is had this massive battle scene, like bigger than Braveheart at the yeah. beginning, which which we couldn't sort of film, where you actually saw Macbeth as a sort of warrior, which you could do as a as a, as a film. Mm. And I found that really interesting. And it felt he felt at the end of this sort of battle scene really tired. Mm. And then suddenly the words opened up, the verse opened up a little bit in regards to kind of you know, could this be someone who sort of has been out in the battlefield for so many years, has kind of been a lifetime warrior, could there be some sort of post-trauma that mm. is associated with that? Then there was sort of a bit of stuff about the kid, uh, which is always there in the verse, but the way the stage directions had sort of created a just a sense of, a, of, of, of uh, you know, Lady Macbeth and Macbeth feeling grief. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that's that's when I thought, well, I haven't seen sort of ambition sort of come through grief before with Macbeth and um, then the opportunity to just shoot in Scotland and Sky and, and, and how a landscape like that could, um, you know, really become part of the verse. Uh, it started to... It started to make sense to me, and 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 started to become really inspiring. And and you know, being in Scotland, I could see it as a western. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that that it was pretty organic. It 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 happens. It's sort of step by step, but it wasn't a project uh, like sort of true history where I just went, I've got to make this, and th- then this is why. It, it it really was a sort of um, uh, okay, let's sort of see how this evolves. Mm. So I wanted to ask about Snowtown and it's such a kind of social realist film like it's so kind of raw and true to its environment and uh, I felt like the cinematography sorry cinematography captured that really well with the kind of handheld shots and natural lighting and was there any way that you tried to reflect that in the soundtrack yeah, it was definitely there. Like, you know, the neighbourhoods, like we went and we'd shoot. It was a weird thing with it. it. You know, Snowtown was really about this sort of violence that was sort of happening in this domestic setting that while you while you were out playing with your kids and mm. watching TV and having a barbecue in this sort of neighbourhood, this was sort of happening inside. So there was this real effort to sort of contrast the the horrific, violence in it with the banality of suburban life mm. so we we did record a lot of like kids at you know playing out outside schools and um you know motorbikes off in the distance and um you know that you know you'd be you'd also be you'd be there and there'd be wheelies going on like drag <laughs> races down three streets you know like it was really interesting and yeah. i'm really really aware of that how a real environment when, when you're not in a studio how a real environment can really start to kind of provide a, a tapestry for the kind of psychology of the film yeah so that that became a huge influence um i don't know and the jet Jed just came up with this pulse, this kind of beat that he yeah. that, that 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 he he sort of he'd left he'd left his sampler on during the night or something, and he woke up and for some <laughs> reason he he pressed play. Thought, oh, and for some reason the feedback on where the guitar was and stuff like something happened where he got this sample, and he's never been able to repeat yeah. that sample. Wow. And he just sort of said, oh, wow, this is really interesting and then started kind of playing with it. And that that actually was a really – that that defined the beginning of the film. We had mm. a really, really hard time trying to work out how to open the film. Yeah. And Jed showed me this piece of music and 
we then thought, oh, wow, that's that's the sort of pulse of Jamie. That's the yeah. pulse of the kid. And that's kind of like, and it feels kind of like that's what he's heading towards. And and so the beginning became this kind of like I had a dream, uh, which which was about a premonition of what Jamie Jamie was going to become, yeah. you know, what the sort of evil that he was sort of heading towards. So, mm. uh, so it kind of started the film, and I, I guess kind of created a, a, a sense for the audience of, okay, well, this is the guy you're following. This is going to be his journey. It's not going to be great, mm. uh, but this is the kind of um, you know sonic world that, that that we're going to kind of set up for him. So, it, it became quite influential actually in the editing of the film. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is barely even about film. This is kind of out of my own interest. Um, when you, cause when you talk about Snowtown, I was wondering, um, have you read Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy? Yeah, it's my favorite book. Really? Mine, mine too. I was watching, um, when I watched Snowtown and True History of Kelly Gang, kind of all your films actually, um, I can just really, I could just really see the themes of, like the similarity between the themes of Blood Meridian and yours. And so much of your films have themes of like young men who find comfort in violence, I guess. Or yeah. do you, where do you think that came from? Um, look, I'm fascinated by it. I really mm. am like why sort of it's usually young white men who are sort of displaced fall fallen between the cracks who are kind of desperately trying to kind of work out what their kind of place is you know mm. and especially in australia being you know being an alpha male is and when i was growing up massively important and what happens if you aren't that you know mm. and and so uh you know, and, and and probably one of my favorite films of all time is The Boys. So mm. there there was sort of there's definitely been sort of something in where I grew up mm. and and being around a certain sort of certain sort of men and how and, and how I guess violence you know, a lot of violence that I kind of saw growing up, um, sort of felt as though it was an expression of frustration within identity. Mm. Um, so it's you know, or place or, or you know, so I I I, I guess I've been really curious about it and, and and i think it has to do with the fact you know <clears throat> snowtown was so particular to me because i just knew it i knew that world yeah. i knew those characters i'd grown up there it wasn't foreign to me it was something that you know i i, I desperately kind of wanted to make and i connected to so you know i i guess true history was probably closer to snowtown than the other films that 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 it was a, uh, you know well then, how do you how, how do you take a a kid that's kind of got all this ambition in him and 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 could be something, um, but their sort of destiny and fate and who they are and the people around them kind of just pull and push them towards the sort of violence that they kind of create and you know in some way there are sort of similarities to Jamie in Snowtown you know that sort of corruption of innocence was sort of something we were really you know interested in both and. You know, nature versus nurture. You know, can you change if you're born into an environment that's apathetic, that is violent, that that feels ignored, that's disenfranchised? You know, do you start to kind of fold into that, or you know, can, can you kind of find something else? So that that that's that's always been an interesting theme. That that yeah, I, I guess I kind of keep on coming back to and resonates and feels personal. Yeah. 
And before I started rewatching all your films again, I hadn't realized that um they're all adaptations of something, even like adaptation of a true story like Snowtown. Do you, is that kind of something that you consciously went for, or um did that does that just happen by coincidence? I think it's a bit of coincidence. Mm. You know, I I, I think um even though Snowtown was based on sort of two books, a lot of that was sort of shown in my vision of, mm. of, of that world. It was very personal. So, you know, there were a couple of books there that were sort of used more as sort of events um, as, as opposed to sort of point of view. Um, True History was just a book I really loved, um, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, M- M- Macbeth was really, I mean, it's interesting, like, you know, I'm, there's a few projects around at the moment that I'm looking at that are spec scripts that are completely, you know, Sean Grant's written one that, that is completely uh, original, mm. um, not based on anything. So um, the, the, I am starting to kind of, you know, maybe it's also having confidence too to, to put yourself out there to create something from absolute scratch. Yeah. You know, that, that's a, <laughs> I've always had great admiration for writers that sit there with a blank page and go, right, you know, like, yeah. and, and also trusting that whatever you've got to say, before it's been kind of accolated in 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 um you know in a review or in a book or whatever in an article that 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 you actually kind of sit down and trust that what you've got in your head is actually something that's sort of worth anything so mm. you know maybe through experience and you know and kind of getting to a place where you're not so kind of worried Mm. about stuff you know I've, i'm starting to be more attracted to original work but um but yeah i hadn't thought about that but yeah they they, they are <laughs> they all are so i'll let you go soon but uh what's coming up for you next did you guys manage to finish shantaram before uh lockdown started no we we did two episodes mm. uh in mumbai and bhopal mm. uh, in india and uh yeah and um uh, we 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 then sort of went into a hiatus. So I'm not sure what's going to happen. It's very it's very challenging shooting over there. And it, you know what's what's different about Shantaram is it's a continuous series. Mm. So sort of being in India for that time, you know, we, we you know we had crew that and cast that got dengue fever. So it really? was really wow. yeah yeah really tough. It was much. There was part of me which was like yeah fuck it, we're going to conquer this and we're going to go to India and we're going to shoot this thing and set up a model that allows you to kind of shoot. And it was just, looking back now, it was really, it was really tough. It was really hard. Mm. So there's going to be some real challenges, uh, you know, in, in the future, sort of getting that, that that show into a place where you can kind of you know, continuously shoot it in India. Um, but it's good. It's, yeah, we, we, we shot two episodes and, um, yeah, hopefully it kind of gets up and gets running again. Mm, cool. Well, Justin, thank you so much for making some time for me. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure, mate. Yeah, yeah. no worries. Once again, thanks so much to Justin for coming on the show. Uh, if you like the show or have any feedback, um, shoot me an email at contact at samperspectivepodcast.com uh, and leave a review, please. That would be lovely. Plenty of five stars there. Thanks. Uh, Once again, thanks to Jean-David Legoulon for the music and sound design. Uh, Have a good one, people.